Hello and welcome back to Do the Franchise with me, Jake, and me, James. And we're back. It's current. We've we've done something. We've we've arrived. We're relevant again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the constant search for relevance that we're on. Uh, we we we've made it. We're here. We're people. If if you're listening to it right now. You're boosting our egos. I mean, you could be at the cinema watching Thor 4 or Jurassic Park. What's it called? Jurassic World. I can't even remember what it's called. Jurassic Dominion something. But Is it bad that we run a, a <laughs> podcast about films and none of the current films interest me enough to go and see them? It's one of those where I pay monthly for a cinema pass and even I've lost interest in some of them. Um, oh. It's not good, is it? I no. yeah so I think like I just wanted this episode this is kind of it's a sequel to Alien we're doing Aliens we've been doing Aliens for what two months we've just not done an episode so we've been talking yeah. about it people that listen to us regularly James and I had been like we'd already said oh we'll just smash these out in like three weeks because they're you know they're two hour films we love them we've seen them they're easy blah 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 and two months later we still haven't done another episode (laughs) oh it's been so busy oh it's been crazy but at least today we're not on fire and no we're not uh, like like we have been for uh for a few days last week um so yeah i think we're, we're in a good spot to talk about we're going to take refuge from all the bad films that we don't want to see Absolutely. in <clears throat> by talking about probably one of my favourite films and one of your favourite films. One of our mutual yeah. favourite films. I was going to say this to you because I, it's hard with a film like this. A, we, because we try to be a satirical um, podcast. There are people listening to this who are like, they've never done anything based on satire. <laughs> like, no, we, we try to, we try to. Um, and I don't ever think I can take the piss out of this film or criticise it because it's so good. It's so good. It's even better than I remember the last time I watched it. And since we, because we recorded this podcast, obviously we recorded this one, we watched the film originally God, about three months ago. And I think that because we kept delaying this episode, I've mm. ended up watching Aliens four times. <laughs> well, I'm not bored of it still. Up, up to about two minutes before we hit record, there was a part of me that was like, should I, should I just play devil's advocate? Should I pretend I hate it? Mm. But I, I can't. I can't do that. This film That's, is too yeah. good. Totally, I completely agree. I uh, I've come to my office today. I literally, my office has sort of been redecorated, revamped. I've got some new furniture in here. Um, for anyone, I mean, you know, no one's seen it, so I'll put it on the Instagram page at some point. But my office looks a little bit like that room. Do you remember when we did Harry Potter and there's the yeah. room of requirement? But when it's not requiring <laughs> anything, it's just a room full of shit. <laughs> and that's kind of what this room became. There was just boxes and spare chairs and shit everywhere so i cleared it all out and i'm like i'm gonna record damn you i am gonna record and we are gonna do this and we have i know well we're about to i love this film um i've got the notes on my i think on my phone let me just get up this is how organized we are on this podcast um well my 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 first note 
I think is quite relevant to how long it's taken us to get this done is my first note was how long was I out there? 57 years? <laughs> That's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've literally me and James decided we're going to do it in the true Ripley fashion by being out of the podcast for 57 years before coming back and doing aliens. Um I my first note actually made me laugh as well. So my first note literally says aliens $18 million budget directed by a true bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. This, this this isn't a film. I mean, this is a film made with passion, but not love. <laughs> um, so Rotten Tomatoes gave Aliens 97%. IMDb 8.4. Always lower on IMDb, which isn't interesting. I feel mm-hmm. like this could be a 10 out of 10 for me. I also feel... It, it's aged so well to the point where when me and James were talking about this before we recorded, I said, isn't it mad that you could have just released this in cinema this summer and I still think it would be the highest watched film. I think even the fact that everyone's already seen it, put it back in mm. the cinemas, see how much money it would make just for a laugh. And I think it would make that significant amount of money again. Do you know what I mean? Like when you rerun a yeah. film uh, on its anniversary or whatever, like they did with Star Wars, you rerun this now... I think this would make millions of dollars. It's such a good movie. Oh, yeah. Any time of the year as well. Any any year. It wouldn't even need to be like an anniversary. Any time of the year. Any any year. Yeah. It, it would make it would make money because it's so good it looks so good and it would i think it's one of those movies that you appreciate seeing it in cinema because it feels like a very cinematic picture doesn't it yeah i mean they did it with the original jurassic park didn't they a few Mm. years ago they they put that back in the cinema and i think the the, this film's definitely worthwhile them doing that again if if that you know if anyone who makes that kind of decisions listening i'd quite like to see it in a cinema please it's such a loud film as well like I couldn't believe yes. until I'd I'd read other reviews about it. I'd kind of done a little bit. I don't normally do that for the podcast. I like to go in as fresh as possible. But I wanted to see what other critics had said over the years. It got criticised for the amount of explosions and the amount of gunfire in it, which <laughs> for me is only a positive. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that. I like the fact that there's lots of whiz bangs whiz bangs work for me i mean james cameron it was one of his first big successful pictures um he was a model maker to, uh, termed filmmaker uh, originally apparently he was a truck driver and uh, he saw star wars um when he was young and uh, decided that he couldn't believe that he was wasting his life as a truck driver he needs to go <laughs> and he said this himself in an interview i need to go and make that film um you know in reference mm. to star wars and uh, yeah, that's how his career sort of started. Made his way through the industry, um, became a model maker, and then became a filmmaker, and then became, arguably on paper, one of the most successful filmmakers of all time ever. Because I think yeah. two of his films, both Titanic and Avatar, are still in the top most successful money making movies of all time, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, th- th- he always seems to do or be able to pull off something that's game changing or groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. For for whatever film he's he's involved with, yeah, um, you know, taking on the second film in a in a, a series that then became what it did, his film still, his film still stands up to yeah. any kind of criticism, because there are nitpicky things that we will go through, mm-hmm. but they don't matter because the whole 
that's made by all those nitpicky things and the bits that surround them is so good. Yeah. It's such a good film. And I think that he is, obviously he's a perfectionist uh, in his work. Um, I think if you love Cameron or hate him, I feel like his movies sort of speak for themselves. They're all mm. unbelievably well made. And that is something, same with Avatar, when I go into that and I went into Avatar, when I went into Titanic, you, you sort of know that there's a level of aesthetic quality that's going to be there. That yeah. when films, and I'm not criticizing so many filmmakers, there's just great filmmakers and bad filmmakers, but you know, good filmmakers that make bad pictures. But when you make a film mm. and you put the amount of time and effort into each one that he does, similar with these Avatar sequels that are coming out, you know, in a hundred years or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like even though we're like, James, I think you've missed the boat with Avatar. It's kind of done. Um, I think it'll be a great film because I have faith that he'll make something magical out of it. The Abyss is the same. That's great. Like, yeah. oh, love his films. Love him. Terminator 2, another sequel, which is arguably better than its uh, predecessor. Um, yeah. And Aliens is one of those films where even though it's the sequel to Alien, it stands on its own it could stand on its own it isn't the same movie even though essentially many plot points are very similar um yeah it it does enough to change its aesthetic a little bit like nolan did with batman begins and dark knight when we talked about those you do like mm. an intro film about a big character like batman and then you do a sequel which completely uh flips everything on its head and is completely different aesthetically to the first one and i like yeah, that i think I... that's good it's a good, it's a it's it keeps things fresh mm. and it's not just i think the 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 modern sequel nowadays is just more and louder yeah <laughs> and and, no, yeah, and that's, that seems to be the way they make a sequel now they do the same film they just put more of what was in that film in the next one and they make it louder um this is is that to an extent <laughs> yes you say that definitely is true <laughs> <laughs> it it's got something else like it it's not just another horror suspense film it went to a completely different genre yeah which i think i think that the the closest thing i can think in modern times would be um for me something like thor ragnarok where yeah the first few thor films the first two were very they took themselves very seriously very serious kind of you know they got branner to direct one you know it mm. it was thespians thespians do you know gods that's what people want and then they gave it to taika watiti who made it into something completely different yeah um and and obviously polar opposites in terms of theme and feel but similar outcome you yeah know, it's a completely different film and we mentioned earlier that he's a bit of a perfectionist that's probably one of the key things about this episode is that you and I technically have seen two different films mm. because I've watched the theatrical cut. Yes. And you've watched the director's cut. I've watched both. Uh, mm. You've watched both. So you can talk about the differences. So I, I've tried to keep myself just to the theatrical cut. Although <laughs> when we've talked about it in the preceding sort of month or two, we've been away. I remember my, my childhood memory as it were of aliens is the director's cut because there's scenes that I felt were missing. So yeah. My, my sort of built in, you know, when you can play a movie in your head kind of thing was mm. the director's cut. 
So I must have only seen that previously, and I hadn't seen the theatrical release. Yeah, and I was the same with Blade like Runner. I remember that with Blade Runner. I never know which one I'd seen, but I think the one I originally saw was the recut one. I'd never seen <laughs> no the one original knows which one. Cut Blade no, Runner they've seen. That's true. They don't. <laughs> It's one of, those, one of life's great mysteries. It's like, is this the fifth or the sixth yeah. cut? Ah, well, does he say this in this scene at this minute? Well, <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, so, yeah, so we've seen two fundamentally very similar films. Yeah. But I think the 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 main thrust of the director's cut is there's a bit more emotional weight. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, um, I think that's true. I think it, it it slows the pace of the film down, but that's not a bad thing. Um, no. It does a great job of world building and prepping us for what's to come more so than this one. I felt like when I went back and watched the theatrical cut, it's very much awake, dream, nightmare, Burke, them were on the plane going to the... Do you know what I mean? It felt very quick. Yeah. They got to the they got to the moon very quick in the theatrical cut, which I was like, oh, this this isn't what I remember seeing the original. And yeah, like you, I kind of remembered the, the rerun, the recut one. Um, mm. Yeah, 57 years after the first Alien, uh, Ripley is in space. Uh, Jones, I think, wins an award for being the oldest cat in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, everyone thinks that she's dead. Everyone she knows and loves and her world is dead. Um, and on top of all that, James, she has to um, attend a company tribunal with the Wayland yutani board members. I mean, that's a bit <laughs> fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like, we, we found you. It's been 57 years. <laughs> Everyone you know is dead. Oh, by the way, that was a very expensive ship you destroyed. Yeah, I kind of like, um, I mean, we're going to talk about everybody, but Paul Reiser, who plays Burke, who's one of, I think mm. he's a phenomenal actor anyway. Um, for the kids listening to us, Paul Reiser is the doctor in Stranger Things, and he's very good in that as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think Paul Reiser is one of those people where whenever I see him in any film, He's one of those actors that gives me a sort of instant glee. A little bit like yeah. Pete Postlethwaite when he was alive when I was younger. Anything I saw Postlethwaite in as I grew up, I was like, oh, I really like that actor. He's great. Um, yeah. And I feel like that about Riser. And he does this thing of, like, he keeps referencing these really expensive pieces of equipment all the way through the movie, which is yeah. which is great because it's that's the character. Fine, he's a, he's a corporate character. But it's that the way he niggles at, at Ripley all the time and he says, like, that's a $600 trillion piece of hardware. <laughs> it just makes yeah. me laugh all the way through every time he mentions it. It's just like your your stereotypical political manoeuvre, isn't it? Yeah, everything's got it's great. You know, I, I I think they they mention it later. Everything's got a dollar value, and yeah. except life, <laughs> life doesn't matter. Yeah, but doesn't you. care about that. <laughs> I I think as well, um, they do a great job because I guess I guess they did that in the original. I guess they had Ash as a villain, even though mm. the alien was the villain, and in this one. We all assume Bishop, the new android, is going to be the villain. And then they subvert yeah. that by saying, actually, Bishop's really good. And um, and the villain is Burke, the one who brought them there. Um, and Burke's more sinister. And I, I think in the extended cut, you find out a little bit more about that. But even in this version, we find out that Burke, t- he sent a bunch of people to the ship to see if it was mm. actually there. The one that Ripley claims the alien came from when in the first film. And then he sends a couple of colonists there and we see this in the extended cut. The colonists that Burke sends to the site are 
Newt's uh, mum and dad. And then Newt's, yeah. Newt's dad comes back to the ship with a face hugger on his face. And then Newt screams and it cuts to the nightmare scene with Ripley. And there's a few extra scenes with uh, with Paul Reiser and, and Ripley. And they're great. Like, they build it up so much better than the theatrical cut, I think. They do, because the, the theatrical cut eventually reveals that this was the plan all along. Mm. But you've never met any of the... <laughs> in the theatrical cut, you don't meet any of the people who have gone and lived on the planet. No. You, you, so... Except for Newt, obviously, yeah. and you, you've got that connection that way. But you don't meet her parents, you don't see them. So there's no... This is what I'm meaning about the emotional weight, I guess. There's 100%. no gut punch of realising, oh, he sent all these people to die. Yeah. You you, you know that, but it, it doesn't feel like it's a bad thing necessarily because you never met them. No, and in this version, you in the, in the newer version, you find out that obviously all the, the whole plan was to... Um, basically infect these colonists with the embryos. Um, they would give birth to the aliens, and then they, the weapons division of Wayland would use the uh, the alien xenomorph as a biological weapon. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Which is kind of the through part of all of the alien films, really, wasn't it? Like, even yeah. in the first one, Ash said, you know, the mission was to get to the planet, then the mission became get the specimen back to Earth, um everything yeah. else is secondary to that mission um and it gets a bit more like that in this one uh, and then yeah so we go back to was it lv426 i can never remember what it's called sounds sounds right yeah lv426 oh i did i got it right i've just, I've just got it on my notes there you go <laughs> Yeah, it, it they, they can't just call it something like you, you know in Star Wars you've got Andor. Nab- Andor's easy to remember. Naboo, remember, but <laughs> Naboo. No, no. Here we we get basically a serial number. Um, yeah, it's more realistic, I suppose. Um, and, true. And then true. yeah, they um, we get to meet all of our Marines now. Ripley is being sent back to LV four two six with the Marines uh, because they've lost contact with the colony of humans that live on it. And um, we know something's gone awry and they need Ripley as a consultant to help um, bust some alien ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like during the tribunal, no one at the table can understand why Ripley's there. Yeah. I think someone even says, apparently she saw an alien once. And I wrote, <laughs> yeah, and it tried to hug her. Um, so, uh. um, so, yeah. So no one understands why she's there. No one believes a word she said. Say, you know, she says you shouldn't go back there. And then they announce that, yeah, people have been living there for however many years. Yeah, 50, and 40 she, years you know, she, she sort of rolls her eyes and goes, "That's terrible. That's such a bad idea." <laughs> and and they go, "Well, if it was such a bad idea, something would have happened by now." And then instantly something happens. <laughs> <laughs> they have to go. Yeah, it was the same. <laughs> they have to go and look it up in the special edition. That makes sense because. She tells Burke and the board about the ship, and the mm. and the and the, there's a. She said, "Oh, Kane goes on the ship. Kane came back. He got something on his face. We tried to get it off. We couldn't. And then something came out of his chest. And when Burke hears this, the camera cuts to Burke thinking about mm. it, and then it cuts to the colonists saying they've been told to check out something in these coordinates, and they journey off to find the ship. And that is how, yeah." Um, it all the whole plot happens, which which really without that, 
they just lose contact with the colony. There's no real, there's no real point to how that happens. And I genuinely, when I watched the theatrical version, felt like that was too much of a quick cut. To say. It didn't make yeah. sense. I thought it was really, really shit. Um, yeah. And then it, it doesn't, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any. Uh, there's, there's not the same through line that you get with the director's cut. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we get what I think is James Cameron's best, greatest asset in all of his films. Um, his band of of badass characters that he's invented, oh, yeah. uh, like ah, uh, in every movie, like in Terminator, they're all good. Um, they're great. In Titanic, you sort of get like uh, Fabrizio and the Irish dude and a couple of other people, yeah. and then all these extra characters. Like he does background characters so well; they are all so oh, yeah. good. Um, Abyss, he's like Ed Ed Harris has got a whole ragtag crew. And then in yes. this one, it's the same. It's like a ragtag crew of, of mercenaries, um, you know, sort of led by um, by their what's he called? I can't remember his name now. Um, there's a general, isn't there, who's always smoking cigars? Yeah. And then you've got Hicks, who becomes the like the main guy after everyone gets killed. Um, Hudson, Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> Hudson, Vasquez, Drake. Um, they kind of give you all these cool characters' names, and you see their their banter with each other and oh, I just love it. I yeah. think that stuff on the ship really works for me. I think that stuff's so entertaining and the the character work, it makes them just less, less of just fodder when they get killed. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you grow to, to like or hate them depending on, on how he wants to make you feel. I, there, there's one bit though that I still, whenever I see it, it makes me giggle. It's when they start doing Tai Chi with those big machine guns for some reason, they start doing sort of martial arts yes. moves with the machine with guns. With the ones that are mounted on them. Yeah. Yeah. I have no <laughs> idea why that's there, but it's fun. Um, and uh, my my favourite my favorite line that makes no sense in the film, because there's a few lines that make no sense, but this is my favourite line. When the uh, commander yells, asses and elbows, I still don't know what that means. I don't know why, why that's there as a thing. Asses and elbows. Does it mean? I don't know. Does it mean get off your ass and and get your elbow greased? I don't know. I some they like all that. they all move with a certain level of urgency though. When he says that, and like, yeah, just like, I would I would stop. I like it. it but... I like it when the pods open up at the beginning, uh, like they do in Alien One, and yeah. the captain, whoever his name is, um, I think it's Apoc. He quickly um, he quickly just like wakes up, shakes his head, and then puts a cigar in. <laughs> yeah. I really like yeah. that. Um, ne- never knowingly seen without a cigar. No, I love it. It's really good. And then he says, like, oh, what are you waiting for, sweetheart? Breakfast in bed? Um, <laughs> all that stuff's just great. And then you get to meet, like, Hudson's brilliant. I love I love the late uh, great Bill Paxton. Oh, It's gosh, just, yeah. it's so quotable as well, this film. I've forgotten how quotable it was. Um because a mutual friend of ours, Clarkio, used to work with. Uh, he it was his favorite. Yeah. His favorite movie was Aliens, and he used to quote little lines from it all the time. And I was like, oh, I forgot that was in Aliens. Oh yeah, that's a great line. And there's so much of that in this movie. Uh, non, you know, mostly spoken by Hudson. Most of those lines. Yeah. So he's great. Uh, I don't know how he became a marine because he's clearly not. Uh, he clearly <laughs> wouldn't pass a normal psychological evaluation, would he? No, no, he's not all there. Maybe he was when he started, and this is just the result of being a Marine. He's rather nervous about every situation. Yeah. Um, well, and, go on. 
I was going to say we get introduced to the loaders. Oh uh, yeah, as yeah. A, as a mechanic in this scene, don't we? Because uh, yeah, Ripley's trying to help out any way she can because she wants to just get the mission done. Yeah. Uh, so she walks up to them and says, "What can I do to help?" And she announces that she knows how to use those loaders. And I was like, "Oh, that's," and they they're quite impressed. And she she gets in and just operates them seamlessly. She she knows what she's doing. It's wicked. Yeah. Uh, and the, just the actual visual of that robot is very cool. And obviously, it sets something up for the finale. Mm-hmm. But it it's great to get that introduction because that yeah that gives us that that payoff at the end is more satisfying because you've seen a get in one before. Yeah, and it's and it introduces the loader as a sort of character in the movie. Mm. Um, these are all things as well that. When you watch it back now in 2022, you think, oh, yeah, it was 1986. No one had ever really seen sci-fi done this well. And I think because we've seen so much sci-fi, you know, we've seen Minority Report, Edge of Tomorrow, Blade Runner, uh, even to the like all the Marvel movies and all these sci-fi movies and the Transformers movies and all these big idea films to see yeah. to see Sigourney getting into essentially a robot that moves and loads things like a forklift but you can walk around in it 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 doesn't seem foreign do you know what i mean it seems no. so familiar but you're like that doesn't exist also it was all puppeteered really well by the puppeteer group on this movie yeah. but it shouldn't it should feel like ah but really it just feels like one of those things you go they've got to have them haven't they <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it totally makes sense that yeah. that's how you would progress from a forklift. You you yeah. get legs on your forklift. And... I think they have them in Matrix, don't they? As well, a similar a similar vein to the loader, which yeah. was ripped off for Matrix. But you think, God, the things that Cameron has done in these movies and and the things that Ridley set up in the first one, like they've just been ripped off so many times in so many different variations and so many different movies. But um, yeah, yeah, you, Alien. It came from Alien. It's all there. Um, yeah, love it. And yeah, then we get, I, I think one thing about Ripley in this movie, um, obviously Sigourney's fantastic anyway. She's brilliant and everything, isn't she? Mm. But, um, I remember my, my wife and me watching it together the first time we watched it, which was probably about two months ago. <laughs> and I think there was a scene where she's getting breakfast and she sits down at the table and then Bishop does the thing with the hand on Hudson with the knife and it's all sets up all the characters really well. And Natalie was yeah. like... A, she was like, how can we watch movies these days that just can't set up characters at all and they never pay anything off? And I was like, yeah. that's a really good point. Like she goes, in modern cinema, how many times do you see it where they like they just don't introduce a character and expect you to give a shit about them? And I was like, Yeah, get that. And mm. then and then also the point of, you know, Ripley is a 30-something-year-old woman. She's in her underwear walking around with the Marines. It's not sexy. Nothing's done for the camera do you know what i mean nothing is done for men there's no sense of the male gaze it's just done because that is how it is and ripley's got some shit to get done and nat was saying you know how how refreshing it was to watch a film in the 80s where women were so well represented in a movie where you know like sigourney just gets shit done she did in the first one and she does in this one um and there isn't any sense of them sexualizing her there is a sort of romance between her and Hicks, but it's only hinted. It's not full on. And there is no yeah. point where Sigourney gives up the mission to go and neck with, with 
Hicks, you know. And, and I saw an interview with Sigourney. Sorry, I'm ranting, by the way, but... No. I saw an no, interview with good. Sigourney about it. And she said, when I watched all the films around that time period that were being released, she goes, women were fine to lift something. Women could kill the bad guy. She goes, women could do these things, so don't say they couldn't. She goes, but when they did them in movies, if they killed the bad guy, they'd have a little cry. Um, if they mm. saved someone, it was to get the man, and then she would neck with the man, and then the man would have to save her in return to get like a one-up on her. And she made yeah. all these really good points about movies where you're like, how many times have you seen that in a film where the woman saves the man, but then the man has to save the woman again at the end, and it's like... Oh yeah, I've seen that a lot. And and you know, how yeah. many times have you seen it where the woman screams, kills the thing or the bad guy or whatever, and then breaks down as a little cry. And she's like So true. Yeah, and she's like that we just did not want to do that. We wanted Ripley to be Ripley and I wanted to play her this way and I didn't want us to do any of this bullshit pandering to what audiences expect to see a woman doing yeah. um on screen. And I was like, God, that's so bold even for 2000 sorry even for 1986 you know yeah it's refreshing isn't it to hear it's very character focused she's a character she's a character in a story doing her thing and it it doesn't have to be about gender roles or anything like that she's just a good character well written yeah well-rounded has a mission is getting on with it and i that that's part of what makes this film near perfect for me yeah and I just think as well, growing up as a young boy, it was never, ever a worry that I wouldn't connect with Ripley. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, there's always yeah. been a worry with with the way that these media companies pitch to to companies. And obviously the big Marvel DC thing with superheroes, which we won't go into in depth, but there was a big thing, you can Google it, um, about saying that female superheroes do not sell. Uh, because it's mm. a largely male audience and they don't want to watch uh, women fighting, uh, bad guys and blah, blah, blah. And it became a big point of contention in Hollywood. But yeah. this is that thing of, I never felt like that was a problem with these movies when I was a kid. I just no. loved the character. And I feel like now we've gone backwards as a society yeah. and the way we pitch our movies and the way we base our characters. Like It doesn't really matter to me because I just like the character and I've never thought twice about the fact that Ripley was a, a, a young woman. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you feel the no, same. No, that, that makes perfect sense because I, I, I feel the same way in, in, in that when I go and watch a film, um, I don't sit in the cinema. I, even as a kid, I never sat thinking, I want to be that person. Mm. It was always, I want to do what that person's doing. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think uh, so many of the, you know, you get all these committees and the you know and a lot of films seem to be written by committee these days mm-hmm. it's written by you know focus groups and things like that it's got to and be guaranteed that, to make money that's all they it's, have to it's make, got to that make money. guarantee mm. and and the the person sitting in the cinema has to see themselves on screen is the idea at the moment where you, you know you have to be able to see yourself in the character that you're watching on screen i was like that's never what cinema was about for me i don't no. want to I don't want to be that person. Yeah. But I want to imagine myself doing what, you know, I want to imagine what Indiana Jones is doing and imagine me in that situation. Yeah. Not necessarily be Indiana Jones. You know, um, I, 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 want, I want to enjoy the spectacle of seeing someone doing something that I can't do. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and a lot of that's lost in modern cinema. A lot of that is, you know, it, it's, 
I think got to a point now where you you're having to tick and check so many boxes that you, you the the story falls way down the list of all the priorities yeah. that these movie makers have and and that's that's a tragedy that's a sadness that this film isn't afflicted by at all this yeah. is purely story driven and it's based on motivations that make sense for the characters and nothing else there's nothing ancillary to that there isn't some sort of current political message being shoehorned in the the closest it gets is that the captain that we've mentioned and made fun of is formerly in real life uh, a vietnam veteran mm-hmm. and, and and that's as close to real life yeah. as it gets <clears throat> yeah. in in the film it, it tells us its own story it's its own world you enter its world i agree you i agree sit in that and and you don't have any outside influences and i feel like um, that we don't need it to be deliberately woke to have characters for instance like Vasquez her sexuality isn't really ever discussed. It doesn't need no. to be because yes, she's a woman, she's a Marine and she's surrounded by men. But then there's a line where I think Hudson says to Vasquez, um, have you ever been mistaken for a man? And she says, mm. no, have you? And it's yeah. like, that's it. That's all they do. They, they, they set up his character, Hudson being a dickhead and they yeah. set up Vasquez as being able to get one up on the guys anyway, so it makes no difference. And then they just leave it. And I'm like, yeah, that's enough. Yeah. I don't need any that... expl- exploration of that. I don't need to know more about her. I know she's a badass and I like her character. That's it. Um, yeah. And and she has a great death. Uh, spoiler alert. But I feel <laughs> like th- there's so much in this film where it's like, we, I don't think they would have written that... Hicks has to get injured in the third act and Sigourney has to save Hicks. But I feel like that was just natural because we wanted that scene where, um, El- uh, you know, Ripley gets to face off against the alien queen and it's the, the greatest yeah. moment in cinema history. But, but, but you know, he needed to, to sideline Hicks and, and Bishop, but we didn't need... It's only because she's the main character. Do you know what I mean? It's not because we have to make her the strong female lead. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm ranting again, but people will probably understand what we're saying. Um, yeah, I think so. And so we <laughs> yeah. we got a bit derailed, but we're back on track. We're back at the uh, the installation now, aren't we? We've we've taken the uh, express elevator to hell, as they call it. The, it's great. The dropship drops them down, <clears throat> and um, I've put that a lot of the um, the shot that they use when they're exploring the base are, are wider and less claustrophobic mm. uh, at the beginning of the film. So you, you, you get this sense of space, of emptiness, um, which is really in stark contrast to the, the previous film when we were visiting this area mm-hmm. where everything was very close. You know, you, you, you had tight angles. You didn't see a lot of what was going on. Yeah, I think um, budget affected that. I think as well. Whereas, oh yeah, in this movie, yeah. the uh, Solar—is it the Solano, whatever it's called—the ship. Um, it's yeah. a, it's a much bigger. You see more of it, like you say, more of the scale of the ship and the place they've got to work in, and the same yeah. with the base. Definitely, and I think it's really cool though that they they make those choices because as the film progresses, it seems like the angles get tighter and tighter. Mm. So you get that sense of claustrophobia because they're being sort of corralled and manoeuvred around this base, you know, because they need to move to safer areas all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, and it seems like each safer room they move to gets smaller, <laughs> which is great. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love the way they they use the, the, the lenses in this film to, to make you feel a certain way. Mm. Um, it's it, it's clever. You know, it, it starts off really different to the first film mm-hmm. and then it gradually gets more of that first film feeling as, as they interact with aliens more. Yeah, I love that film. I love that bit. Um, when they get to the... Um, is it the calling station? Where they, they basically go into this installation to find colonists, don't find any, and then they start going down to where the cooling towers are to see if they can find some uh, some peeps. Um, and then yeah. we get these eerie little... Um, the bleepers, for like very reminiscent of the first film, the proximity alert yeah. to say something is there. Um, I love that bit. And then there's a bit where we see a young, is it a young lady who's who's been webbed up by the aliens, and she yeah. is like, "Kill me!" And then we have our first proper chest burster. We had one at the beginning of the film where Sigourney's dreaming, and it's a great sequence where there's like a little alien head starts to rip, come through her skin, and then she wakes up, and it's like, "Oh, that's awful!" Um, yeah. And then they do it properly when they're with the girl that's uh, cocooned. Um, and ah, oh, it's just really terrifying. I think it's just say it's some sort of resin, isn't it, that they secrete onto the people, and they just yeah. tie them up and then give them the egg. It's oh, it's just horrific, but really great. Like I don't know, it's one of those sick, awful, twisted things of going. What would happen if humans got shrunk down to sort of wasp size and then got taken into a wasp nest? That's basically what it is, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like the first film. The alien in the first film is kind of opportunistic, isn't it? The yeah. you know we it, the humans encroach on its territory, and the facehugger just jumps on and latches on. Yeah, but this is it's very more very much more malicious. You know they 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 go out they capture humans and bring them back to their nest and yeah. and it, you know and then they they get the facehugger treatment. It's it it feels creepier. It feels more evil. Yeah, so I, I like I like for the for this film. It, again, it's that sort of more and louder thing again. There's more of them, and yeah. uh, but it it's perfect for the for the sense of being a, a sequel to to Alien. Um, that there's there's this additional thing, and I think it's around. It's in this film where they start questioning where are all these eggs coming from. Mm. Like we've met we've met. Aliens, but where are the eggs coming from? That's a great uh, setup as well. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like the, uh, the the old joke of you know you never see baby pigeons, so maybe all the pigeons we see are the babies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Um, yeah, as I was, I'm just reading through some of my notes. Um, there's a bit obviously where they start to um, blast their way out of the nest. Everything goes. Uh, tits up one of my favorite phrases for this mission um yeah and then gorman who's their like officer who's like driving the batmobile thing um he gets knocked over by some boxes and it looks absolutely pathetic yeah <laughs> you remember that bit where they're yeah. like she riffly takes over the the steering and she tries to drive into the uh into the cooling towers to get the guys out and then yeah. um yeah we kind of retreat 
Um, there's my favourite alien moment in this film out of all the alien films, which is where we see the dropship coming to get them and the guy puts his arm on the wall and there's like sticky stuff on the wall and he kind of looks at his hand and goes, ugh. And then it yeah. cuts to them flying towards the drop, to, to the drop, um, to the Batmobile thing. Yeah. And that woman, the, the pilot is shouting her co-pilot and she's like, what the hell are you messing around at? And she turns around and then there's just an alien looking at her. And it's the most <laughs> iconic, scary, brilliant shot ever. And then you just see right. the little mouth come out of the alien. And then instead of anything nasty, you just hear the crunch and then you just see blood go all over the windscreen uh, of, oh, the, of yeah. the dropship. I was like, that's a Spielberg moment. That is like per- perfect little brilliant moment to set up yeah. what what's going on and then the dropship crashes uh very thunderbird style i might add um, yeah but i mean for the time really <laughs> impressive visual effects for yeah. the time but yeah it does look a lot like uh thunderbird ones had a, a bit of an accident apparently the uh, puppeteers and the people because it's all filmed in britain uh this whole yeah. movie and they were saying that when they we're looking at ways of getting Cameron's dropship to work. The the model makers and the puppeteers um, at Elstree said they went to Thunderbirds. They'd watched Thunderbirds loads and they got some of the ideas from the model work and the wire work of the Thunderbirds oh. models. And that's why it looks so Thunderbirds-esque is because it was essentially yeah. frame for frame based on a Thunderbirds ship crashing. That's so fun. Yeah, it's good, that's isn't so it? cool. Uh, so is it around this time we get introduced to Newt? Yes, in the base. Yeah. So they, they their, their method of escape has gone. So they go back into the base because uh, they've been reminded that this installation has a dollar value. Uh, <laughs> constantly reminded. <laughs> constantly reminded. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it just seems like... Um, I made a note earlier about sort of like 80s therapy where uh, Ripley's just told <clears throat> to get back on the horse... Yeah. Despite the fact that she's she's lost her whole family, and they do the same thing to Newt. Yeah. Like your whole family's dead. Have a hot chocolate. Yeah. Yo, is it? No one <laughs> listens they're... to Ripley in this film either. You noticed? Yeah. No one cares. No one's listening to her. She's she's right a hundred percent of the time, <laughs> but no one's listening to her. Uh, and then um, yeah, we find out from Newt a bit about the aliens' habits, and then she goes, uh, "What's mm. the, the famous line?" Uh, they mostly come out at night, mostly. Yeah, um, which is terribly well, uh, terribly acted, but brilliant. And yeah, it, it's great. It it feels like it should be out of some sort of black and white fifties film, but it's coming out with a small child who's obviously traumatized from the loss of all of her family. Um, and at the same time, uh, Bill Paxton's character is having a complete melt mental breakdown. <laughs> But Newt looks really unfazed by the whole thing. Yeah. You know, she she's just happy to have someone to talk to who isn't, you know, an alien. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's um it's so so funny. And they they find a blueprint to the base. And this is the other bit that makes no sense to me. They they keep pointing things pointing at things on this blueprint and nothing makes sense. Yeah. You know, like they going, point at something, but it's definitely not what they're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> if we go up this air duct here and seal this bit off, you're like, but that's nothing. <laughs> you're not looking yeah. at anything. That's a coaster. <laughs> It's a coaster. It's like that's not even part of the map. Um, and they they give Ripley a, a locator at this point that 
it looks like a watch that they've spray painted. Mm. I realise that we're, we're, we're really <laughs> rubbishing a lot of the, the set pieces here, but um, it, it's it's funny, isn't it, how none of this matters to the enjoyment of our, uh, of the film that we oh, have. Oh, yeah, no, like, don't care. This is still one of the greatest films ever, but they're able to make this film and make it feel so lived in and real. And then when you look at some of the actual things and objects in the film... Mm. None of it looks great. I think yeah, yeah, none of it. Yeah, I think if it was more polished, it would be Prometheus. <laughs> yes, yes, it would. It would. So, indeed. what's the point? You, I'd rather have it rugged. It's the same. This is exactly the same argument, and we keep going back to it in our podcast, and we will talk about it one day. But Star Wars had the same argument. We don't want it to be yeah. polished. We want shit puppets, and we want real locations. That's all people ever wanted. And yeah. the fact that when the lightsaber cuts the thing, the thing blows up before the lightsaber hits it. Like, who cares? That's fun. Yeah. We know that the lightsaber's just a pole, and we know that that's got a little firework attached to it, but it looks cool. Yeah. It looks cool. <sighs> Give me stormtroopers hitting their heads on doorways it, any day. 100%. Um, <clears throat> and then there's this scene where the... Um, I've got two bits, and I can't remember which bit comes first, but there's obviously Bishop goes down the tunnel, and he's going to... Um, Bishop is going to use the transponder in the base to contact the spaceship in orbit <clears throat> yeah. to bring the second dropship down to pick them up, right? And yeah. th- that's the plan. They've got a plan. But, twist, aliens are coming and they're going to grab them. Um, so they try and seal everything off, but then they somehow ridiculously forget that they've got, like, plastic or polystyrene tiles above them and a whole crawl space <laughs> above them it's a little it's a little bit like you saying uh, we've sealed up everything it should be fine have we got a roof we haven't got a roof <laughs> but i'm pretty sure as long as the aliens don't figure that out we'll be fine yeah these aliens have basically spent their whole life living on this base now mm. they won't know anything about the base they do that. Do you remember in Signs? We talked about it on our M. Night Shyamalan episode. But there's a bit mm. in Signs where they spend like half an hour putting up boards to board all the house up so the aliens can't get into the house. And then the first moment we see an alien trying to get through the door with Mel Gibson and um, mm. there's a smash in the roof space and then you just hear Yakuin Fingers go, I think they're in the house. <laughs> and you like, that <laughs> lasted 30 seconds. It took them 30 <laughs> seconds to get in. You're yeah, shit. Like, of course they're in the house. You left that window and boarded this up in what, the attic. Yeah, like, come on. So yeah, that, that always makes me laugh in this, these kind of films. Like, the aliens are currently in. I don't know how, like, and everyone's going, they can't be in. They're inside the room. Like, they're above. They're either above yeah. you or below you. I know, I've watched enough sci-fi films to know they're either coming from above or they're coming from underneath. <laughs> I like that when they go, they, they lift a tile, don't they, to go and look yeah. at that crawl space. <laughs> I love the fact that for a brief moment, none of the aliens are moving. And they're just, they're just sort of stuck crawling still basically as it were yeah. they're not moving in the hope that they don't get noticed and then when they realise the jig's up they start rushing them Yeah, I they start that. coming through the, the polystyrene roof tiles um, then we get I'm just thinking there's a scene here and I can't remember if this scene was exclusive to my extended version or theatrical version but there's a great scene where they're coming down the tunnel and they've got two machine guns pointing down the tunnel at the aliens yeah and they run that's and... directors only i think yeah. yeah and this is great because they're saying that the aliens are trying to come down the tunnel but they think they're just distracting the guns and um 
like they make reference to the fact that the aliens are smart enough that they just sacrifice loads of aliens to go down this tunnel yeah. so that the guns run out of ammo quicker and then they run out. And that's like, oh, that's really yeah. cool. And they do this really, it's such an amazing scene. I really like that scene in the uh, in the extended cut. Because uh, you can see the number of bullets running down, can't yeah, you? Yeah, there's, a little, there's it, a little gauge of the ammo running out. It's wicked. And it cuts between that sort of quieter space that they're in and then you cut back to the... I'm going from memory here because remember, this isn't the one I've watched, but it seemed from memory it seemed to cut between them in a quieter room watching that gauge go down to then you cut to sort of a camera right next to where the guns are. Mm-hmm. So it gets really loud, quiet, loud, quiet, and it really builds that tension yeah, up it's great. massively. Um, we have the scene that I think we've missed out where um, Ripley and Newt are in the med bay. Yes, I've re- I've I've put a, a note about this. I I put Ripley puts Newt to bed next to an electric fan heater. Who is the real monster here? <laughs> it's a bit dangerous. <laughs> this is the eighties, James. It was fine. You could have electric blankets, whatever you want. Uh, they were probably asbestos roof tiles. <laughs> um, there's yeah, that I, there's a great audio version of um, basically something called Hadley's Hope. Uh, I think it's on the uh, iTunes to all the podcasts um, app. And this Hadley's Hope is the name of the colony that we're in, uh, where ah, on okay. LV two four six, and in the in Hadley's Hope, it's about the colonists facing off against the aliens and retreating right. further into this base. And uh, not to give too much away, but the the final confrontation uh, between the last colonists and the aliens it takes place in the med bay where Ripley and Newt end up, and it's like oh, okay. it's like a prequel to Aliens. It's so cool. You should definitely give it a listen. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think it's like a good. it was like a comic book, a novel, and a an audio book. But you can't obviously it's not film, but it's very cinematic the way it's been described. Um, yeah, and then we see because they they find out that the colony were looking into face huggers. They did have some in boxes in in test tubes, kind of thing. Um, yeah. A couple of them are alive, <clears throat> um, and then this goes to Burke, where we find out that Burke uh, did know about the alien, and he did want to find out where the nest was, um, what was going on with them, and then obviously in hope of developing. A, uh, an alien weapon to bring back to Earth. So it's all very sinister at this point in the film. And then, yeah. what does he do, James? He traps them in the uh, med bay. Yeah. So uh, <coughs> prior to this, uh, Ripley's had a quick lesson on guns because obviously they don't know, they don't trust her. <laughs> no one listens to her, but you know she she can handle herself. But she gets this really quick lesson on on how to handle a gun, and then she goes into the med bay to be all motherly next to the fan heater. Um, and uh, <laughs> and then she wakes up, and the gun that she was given is gone, and there's a face hugger in the room with them. Yeah, I think there's, there's two. Obviously, isn't there? there's two. Yeah, there's there's two face huggers, and because um, Burke wants to use them as vessels to bring aliens back to Earth with, mm-hmm. which is kind of a repeat of the the plan uh, that Ash had in the first film, um, but it. It's just more, again, more sinister because he was a robot following orders, but this is a human yeah. that's come up with this idea. And it, again, it feel, it's, again, more and louder. It's more sinister. And there's, a, you know, it's a child this time mm-hmm. as well. That makes it, it, it just, ooh, it's creepy, but good creepy. 
Yeah, it is. It's such a um, it's such an exciting beat as well when the uh, she's trying to smash the glass, but it's like plexiglass and she can't break it and she can't contact Hicks and she's shouting at the camera. And then you just see Burke mm. turns off the monitor, doesn't he? So Hicks can't see it. I was like, oh, it's Burke. He's doing it. Um, yeah. I think he does those sleazy, sly villain characters really well in his movies, um, Cameron. Oh, definitely. He's got a couple in Titanic, um, including um, the late, great David Warner, who I think died yesterday, who is the yeah. baddie in Titanic. And I put a little tribute up on our Instagram. Uh, he's great. And they have the little guy from Friends in Avatar who's trying to steal the unobtainium from the tree. And he's like a sleaze as well. And there's a lot of that in his movies, I've realised. Like, a lot of sleazy yeah. people trying to do one over for the corporate for corporate gain. Maybe Cameron doesn't like the Hollywood political system very well. <laughs> I've realised you know, this. Like, maybe so. Yeah, because they're so. always kind of money-grabbing producer types, aren't they? I like quite, like, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway, yes, then we have the face-off with the aliens. Um, it kind of all goes to crap very quickly. Um, many people sacrifice their lives, and then Newt um, kind of falls down a uh, down a chute and ends up in the water yeah. in a really iconic scene where we get to test Newt's lungs to see how loud she can scream. Uh, I had to turn oh, my yeah. soundbar down, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the, xen- yeah. the xenomorph comes out of the water, and it looks really cool. It's really scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I put a note down that it sort of brings the whole Jaws in space closer to reality, doesn't it? Because it's Massive. water-based. Yeah. And, yeah, and it, it's such a cool scene where it just lifts itself out of the water like that. It's it's wicked. Um, and I, am I right in remembering that it was like, that was what they used for some of the posters? Mm, I think so. It's definitely in the trailer. So. I've watched the theatrical yeah. trailer. Um, it, it, it's, it's iconic, like you say. It's... Uh, yeah, it's it's wicked. Uh, um, so Newt, Newt gets and captured, is... and then they have to go and get Newt back. But Hicks gets injured by the acid, I think, doesn't he? And the then they're yeah. flying their way out. Uh, and Ripley has to then drop Hicks with um, Bishop and go back into the depths of hell on her own with just yeah. a gun. No, no, not just a gun. She uh, takes two guns and tapes them together oh yeah she got the flame she had the flamethrower at this point i can't remember yeah she has the flamethrower yeah i just look my notes read uh when one gun isn't enough tape two together Mm. for more better (laughs) uh... (laughs) oh dude this bit like again it's with this with the sort of steam and the sirens and the and the flashing light and the intensity and the camera angles it's perfect. It's just so epic. And you've got the the heartbeat sound yeah. and the little beeps of the machine. It's and then you so get that, good. that slow pan up to the queen. Well, yeah, because do you remember that scene where she gets new and then we get introduced to the queen finally? All the music and all the audio fades out. Yeah. But not completely. I thought it was going to go silent, but it just fades out so that you can hear the queen like breathing, <laughs> I yeah. guess. And my God, it's scary. It's a really oh, yeah. scary scene and it's done so well. And I think because the model of the queen looks so good and the way it's shot is so, so well shot, it yeah. just works. It works so well. It's so scary. It's got that, 
that real sort of body horror thing coming through, hasn't it? Because mm-hmm. she's sort of laying eggs as, uh, as you <coughs> move across, and like I say, everything oozes and is gooey and is horrible, and <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's it's so good. I am um, when you look at say because the next time I think we see the the queen in that much detail is in one of the Alien versus Predator films. Yeah, and it's all CG. It doesn't look scary it doesn't look real it's just a big cg monster yeah. chasing down a little cg monster uh and it's got none of this uh, creepy vibe yeah it's not visceral to it yeah uh yeah it, it is it is visceral it makes your skin crawl doesn't it mm. watching that egg come out of her and stuff yeah and it pans yeah. across her big um body where the eggs the egg sack and then you see the actual queen herself uh, and then Ripley just burns all the eggs and she wants to burn the nest and get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, yeah. <clears throat> which we kind of do. Yeah, because <coughs> yeah, we've already... Uh, we, we've had characters talk about how unstable this building is mm-hmm. for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes. She's been talking about how unstable the building is. Uh, Ripley doesn't care. just starts throwing grenades around the place and f- burning things and then eventually she gets into the elevator and gets the hell out of Dodge, like you say. Then we have the scene where Horner's, uh, again, the late, great James Horner, another artist in this film that we've lost. Yeah. He makes that score for the dropship when the dropship and, and, and Hicks and Ripley and Newt are all on board and they fly off to leave the base and the base is going to explode. Um, and it, oh God, do you know what? I can't even describe it to anybody. If you haven't heard it, I mean, you will have heard it at some point anyway. Yeah. Anyone that hasn't seen Aliens will have heard this theme tune. But if you go on to YouTube tonight or anything like that, or Spotify and just put in Aliens, um, you know, end score. And yeah. you get this epic music that just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until the bass explodes. Uh, and it's done so well. It's, yeah, it, it's... I know you know you, you, loads of people are familiar with uh, Williams and all of the scores he did for Superman, Star Wars, mm. etc. But this is up there with that mm-hmm. for like emotional impact and tension. It, it's just perfect. Yeah, I was thinking as well when we were watching this movie. Um, we did Jurassic Parks not long ago, and we keep referencing other films that we've loved, other franchises. How much better would it have been? <laughs> If we just, like, I genuinely was sat watching the film thinking about other films that I liked, other sequels that just aren't as good as this. If they mm. had done Lost World Jurassic Park, they could have just done it where, I don't know, like, they could have just had Marines going back to Jurassic Park with somebody like Sam Neill or, I guess, in uh, Ian Malcolm, you know, um, Goldblum. And it could yeah. have just been two hours of dinosaurs chasing stranded marines off the island. No San Diego, no capturing, just marines yeah. on the island. Maybe they went to exterminate them, or maybe they went to um, exterminate some, but capture others. I just think, God, you could have done such a different movie with that. Like, Just do Aliens. Yeah. I feel like if I'm going to ever make a film again, I'd make a film of a sequel. I'd just go, we're just going to do Aliens. What do you mean? Yeah, we're gonna do main character marines drop them in, and it's all gonna explode. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's, it's so exciting. It, it works. Yeah. It works, and it, it it's you know the the, the I, I would be happy if films just did aliens again. I you know at least a couple of times I'd go and watch you know someone just repeating what aliens did because 
I've rewatched Aliens like you a number of times. I still don't get bored of it. No. At all. It's so, um, it's so well made and so entertaining. You just can't help but... Again, it's a bit like I said in my notes, it's a bit like birthday cake. I only have it once a year. But if I'm going to have birthday mm. cake, I want to make sure that I want it, that I've not had too much to eat. I want to make sure that I have a really good slice. I don't want too little. I don't want too much. I want to make sure yeah. that I'm sat comfortably in my own space with some comfortable trousers on with a bit of elasticated waistband and I'm going to have that cake and I'm going to enjoy it. And that is a bit like watching Aliens. I feel like yeah. that's how I have to get. I have to really prep myself to enjoy it because I know I'm going to yeah. enjoy it so much when I do. Um, and then we... But don't enjoy yourself too much, Jake, because we have a fake out. Exactly. They think they've escaped. <laughs> yeah. they, think they've escaped. <laughs> they haven't. There's always a works... fake out. <laughs> There's always a fake out. I think it works really well in this film, though, because there's three of them and they're all involved in their own sort of self-delusion that they've escaped the alien queen. Yeah. Uh, but obviously they haven't. Um, I, and the, we get a, a, a clip when they're trying to get rid of the alien queen because they, they do the whole, we're going to put you in an airlock and send you into space. Yeah, thing. exactly like the first uh, one. <laughs> Exactly like the first one, uh, except this one comes with the added bonus of the most unintentionally funny scene in the film, for me, is when Bishop slides across the floor when the airlock opens, and it just looks well, ridiculous. Half of Bishop, because he gets ripped half in half. Of, yeah, the, the Queen rips Bishop in half, and half of him, when the airlock opens, just slides across the floor, and obviously he's got nothing to stop himself going and it's just that the look on on his face as he's sliding it's like oh here we go again <laughs> I, I don't know how many times they must have had to film that scene but it just looks like he's done it so many times well obviously she um, comes to kill newt because um ripley killed all her babies <clears throat> so there's definitely like you said earlier there's a sort of malice in the aliens and especially in the queen at the end and then mm. What does Ripley do, James? She only gets into a bloody power loader, comes back yeah. and says the most iconic line ever. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> <laughs> it's Is it so sad good. that I was mouthing along with that? <laughs> Mate, like, even if you don't watch the video, the audio is great. Like, it just works so well. Great. Yeah. Great ending. Like say, Cinema history, that's up there with uh, Tell Me Do You Feel Lucky Punk. Yeah, it, you know, 100%. It, it's, yeah. It, it's it's so good. And uh, I, I, I don't... I get that Ripley knows how the loader works. Makes sense to me. This is supposedly a 57-year newer ship than she'd be used to. How does she know how the airlock works? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's essentially like somebody from the 20s trying to fucking fly an A380. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Oh. oh, And then we get a lovely moment. Newt calls Ripley mummy. Yes. I always and, forgot about uh, that, actually. Yeah, she does. That that That's sweet, because obviously... It's sweet in the director's cut because you understand that yeah. Ripley has lost a daughter. You don't get that <laughs> in the in the theatrical version. So it's sort of sweet because you feel great for Newt because Newt's lost her family and you know that. Yeah. But again, more emotional weight in the director's cut because it means more for Ripley. Yeah, we have that scene at the beginning where she goes to see what happened to her daughter, doesn't she? Yeah, of course. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's and, yeah, it's great. Love it. That's it. And 
yeah, that's it. Uh, such a good film. Honestly, if you've not watched it, and we've probably spoiled a lot of it for you, but if you haven't watched it and you don't feel like we've spoiled it for you, like Jake said, it's really good cake. Yeah, I, I'm just going to tell people. We can't spoil good cake. Just go watch it anyway. Don't be, yeah. don't be listening to this podcast. Go and watch Aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, such... A good film. Can I, Are you um, ready? Yeah, I want. Are you ready for five facts? Yes. After your five facts, can I do my favourite quotes? <laughs> yes, yes, because we need. Oh, there's so many such quotable. Films. Yeah, go on. So, fact number one. In both versions of the film, the theatrical and, and director's cut, the 15-minute countdown is actually 15 minutes. Oh, what? At, is, at the ending? At in, the en- really? In real time, yeah. That's yeah, wicked. Yeah, the 15-minute countdown is actually 15 minutes. So that's dedication to your art. I love that. Uh, to, to even have that, I don't know, that restraint when you're re-editing the film to keep that bit 15 minutes is just perfect. So, uh, fact number two... Bill Paxton would apologise to Carrie Hunt, Hen, who is Newt, uh, in between takes for all the swears. Every time he'd like, I'm sorry for the swears. Did he? And she, yeah, she later admitted she didn't mind because she didn't understand them at all at the time. <laughs> Which is lovely. I love that Bill Paxton would be that mindful. It's like, I'm really mm. sorry, kid, I'm swearing. Um, so Sigourney Weaver was the first actress to get a nomination for Best Actress in an Action Movie. For this film, so again, that whole trend-setting thing—it's—it's it, it's big for for this director and I agree. the films. Yeah, uh, it's and obviously well deserved as well because she's amazing in this film. Yep, love that. Um, this might, you know, fact number three might. Um, no, it won't change your mind about your facts, but it'll make them more your quotes rather. It'll make them more impressive. Many of Paxton's <coughs> most quotable lines in the film, like "Game over, man," those sorts of lines were all improvised and don't appear in the script. Love it. So it's, it's like pure Paxton. Um, so uh, fact number four: the alien nest set was kept intact and later used as the Axis chemical set for Batman 1989. No way. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that makes sense because they literally have a Batmobile going through it in this film, and it looks. Yeah. And I did think when I watched it, it reminds me of the bit where Batman blows up that chemical plant in Batman, uh, Batman One. Oh, that's yeah. That's funny. It's the same place. That's, that's brilliant. I know this is five facts, but I've got a, uh, a a bonus one for you. Go on. Aliens didn't get a test screening because editing and scoring didn't finish until the week before the theatrical release. Great, love that. So that explains why there are effectively two versions of the film. They probably, the theatrical cut, if they'd given themselves more time, would probably have looked like the director's cut. That's so um, good. But it, it didn't finish. And obviously, back in the 80s, if you're editing and scoring a week before it's released, they then have to print the film. Yeah, and, and then distribute it, it. It takes ages. Yeah, and it's... <clears throat> That's incredible, isn't it? When you think about it, that they they managed to do that in a in a week before it was due to be released. I, I, things sometimes get cut down to the wire 
now uh, with reshoots and things like yeah. that, but they, they're still usually wrapped months ahead of when it's due to be released. Yeah, because they, they push things back otherwise. I think we saw a lot of that during COVID. And normally it's to do with to do with the best weekend for release more so than it is about when the film's ready for distribution. But yeah, that yeah. I like that. That's like cowboy filmmaking back in the day. It's great. It, it's it's great because it was you know it's a big multi million dollar budget film, but they still were able to cut it that fine. I, and I I said that was a bonus fact. I've got a bonus bonus fact. Go on. <clears throat> I mentioned, and this ties it right back to the beginning of the episode. Asses and elbows. <laughs> so asses and elbows apparently. Um, the, the aliens and the film Full Metal Jacket were being filmed about the same time on a nearby set. Nice. And uh, because of this, the crews of each movie would often gather together for parties and stuff like that. Uh, both films feature US Marines trapped in intense combat situations. Mm, yeah. And both casts feature a US Marine Corps Vietnam War veteran. So uh, R. Lee Emery in Full Metal Jacket and Al Matthews in Aliens. In both films, these actors are played. Uh, uh, these actors played sergeants who use the phrase "asses and elbows." <laughs> and uh, this is it gets weirder, Jake. Coincidentally, both actors died in two thousand eighteen. Did they ever tell us why or what "asses and elbows" means? Ass, it's, they, they it's, it's assholes and elbows. I want to correct you. <laughs> oh, so yeah, assholes and elbows. Sorry, <laughs> they, they. They didn't tell us why, Jake. That's not in the fact that I have. And they, now they're both, they both died in 2018. So they've we can't taken even to ask the graves them. with them. Yeah, we can't even ask can't them. can't ask them. No I, idea. I but... love that this episode title's got to be Assholes and Elbows. <laughs> oh, God, no, please. Please don't. We don't want to be, we don't want to be kicked off the, uh, the podcast network for using, using squares, unless we can somehow get Bill Paxton back. I, I found apologize. I found a good fact for you, actually. Um, I don't Ooh. know if you've mentioned anything about this in the episode, but um, James Raymar was originally cast as Hicks um, and did about four weeks oh. of shooting as Hicks. Um, he was later replaced by Michael Bean um, halfway through shooting because he got arrested yeah. in the UK for possession of uh, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to get fired, I suppose. Somebody else said wow. it was... Another article says it was possession of heroin. So I've got two different sources here. Um, strong drugs. Let's say strong drugs. <laughs> you can't get a chemist. Yeah, strong drugs. By the way, he's American. By the way, <laughs> both illegal in both countries. <laughs> yeah, so, you can't really blame like cultural differences. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I thought slaughtering that family was fine It here. wasn't like he came to London and was like, I've heard heroin's totally okay here. No, James, yeah. heroin is not okay here. It's not okay anywhere. <laughs> also, you're at work. Stop taking heroin. <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, um, yeah, um, Cameron was furious and um, he rang Michael Bean, who was a good friend of his, and just said, uh, get your ass on a plane. You got Hicks. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, nice. that's what that's how he tells it. Um, and apparently, the cast and crew um, struggled with Cameron on this shoot. But you hear that about every Cameron film, don't you? Like, yeah, nearly every single Cameron film, someone nearly hits him. <laughs> well, yeah, he just doesn't seem like he's that pleasant to work with. And I, I guess I, from notes I read, uh, you know, uh, trivia I read, it was because they. Were obviously big Ridley fans, and they were a bit dismayed that 
Ridley hadn't been invited back to do the sequel. Mm. Um, so I think there was a bit of tension straight away with with the uh, the crew. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I the the. So many stories, but you have some quotable lines, oh, and this God. film is so quotable. There are so many in this movie. Um, I've just picked a couple of choice favorites. Uh, this is when, um, <laughs> this is when Ripley has an argument with Bishop and then throws something as she walks off from Bishop because she's like, "Stay the hell yeah. away from me, Bishop." Um, and one of the Marines just says, mm, "Guess she doesn't like the cornbread either." <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a great line. Um, <laughs> and then there's a line where Vasquez is uh, next to Hudson, and Hudson says, They said alien. She thought they meant illegal alien, and points at Vasquez, <laughs> which is racist, but funny. Um, yeah, it's. Oh, Bill Paxton. <laughs> Uh, game over, man. Game over. We're all fucked. Game over. And, and then uh, to accompany that line, when. Um, when Ripley says this little girl survived six weeks on this planet on her own, um, Hicks, uh, Hudson replies with, "Why the fuck don't we just put her in charge?" Which <laughs> 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 I think is a great line as well. Um, oh. That's my last one. I've got another one here. Uh, da, 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 da. When they get told that they need to um, give up their guns because they're in a highly volatile environment, uh, one of the Marines replies to Gorman. What the hell are we supposed to use, man? Harsh language. <laughs> Which I think is good as well. So yeah, they're my favourite oh, lines. It's oh, it's a very, very quotable, fun film. Full of violence, gore, loud bangs, and great characters. This is the kind of picture where it's hard to describe this to anybody, but for me, films like Aliens are the kind of movies where I... That's what I enjoy going to the cinema for. That. That's what yeah. I want. I don't really need to be educated. I don't need to be um, preached to. I just want to sit yeah. for two hours and be entertained. And my God, this film's entertaining. <clears throat> yeah, it is. Uh, like I said, I think it, it's been such a nice antidote to how I've been feeling about modern cinema. Yeah. Just, just go back and watch watch a film like this that's in my opinion done properly yeah um and i i don't know whether it's it's because the films now aren't meeting that sort of level or if it's just that like you say there's a different focus now and they are still you know great films in their own right maybe but they they just don't have the same feeling that this film gives you mm-hmm. and that other films that we've reviewed give it gives you it's you, you you leave this film wanting more and and not just because you're told to want more like it doesn't necessarily set up a sequel but it it makes you want one it, it, it gives the you know it gives a reason for this to be a sequel if that makes sense well you're in luck james next week we're doing jurassic world dominion <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not, by the way. That is a lie. <laughs> oh, um, oh, good. You. So, yeah, next week we'll be doing Alien 3, and we are going to churn a few episodes out this week so that we've got some in the pipeline so that we can start giving you guys what you want again, uh, which is yeah. more do the franchise, more James and Jake, more talking. <laughs>
and more louder. Oh yeah, more more gonna, louder. I'm just going to turn the, this episode up in editing. Um, ironically, I think Alien 3's got about three different versions as well, so we're going to have fun with that. <laughs> uh, uh, I didn't know this either until I got told by my my plumber, who is a friend of mine, who was in my house plumbing and talking about the podcast, and he was talking about Aliens, and then he told me about Alien 3, and I said, oh, I don't know about that. He's like, have you got the Blu-ray? I was like, no, but I've got the download on digital. And he's like, go on the digital download. As soon as I went on it, there's like two different versions on there. I was like, oh, oh God. I didn't know that. I've got to do the same thing with this one. So yeah, that'll be Alien 3 next week. Um, but yeah, thanks, James. Always a pleasure. Um, I'm, Always. Feels good to be back. And um, yeah, the sun's gone down now, so I can see. <laughs> oh, everything's coming up roses. Next week, I'll have a blind in my office. <laughs> oh, you extravagant youth. Oh, maybe. Right, I'll see you in a bit, man. Take care. Thanks for see listening, ya. everybody. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.